welcome everybody to the latest installment of the Purple Nights podcast. And for those of you who are used to me talking about Prince, waxing poetically about Prince, today we're going to change, we're going to switch things up a little bit and we're going to focus on another once in a generation artist that we lost way too soon. We also lost him in 2016, the incomparable George Michael. And uh, welcome to all the George Michael fans that are happening upon this video on YouTube and this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And uh, because I'm going to be sharing the link in various George Michael uh, fan groups and stuff on Reddit. And uh, so hopefully we'll get some George Michael people watching us as well and welcome. Uh, I believe they're called Lovelies is the collective name for George Michael fans. But uh, thank you for joining us. And yeah, we're going to be talking about George today and it's just going to be a, a tribute to the genius and artistry of a great band that we lost way too soon. Uh, and to start things out, I have my buddy Kurt Hoffman with me. He's here with me and Vicki Lee as well. And Kurt's going to start us off with a live rendition of Waiting Reprise. And Kurt, take it away. Apologies if I get anything wrong to all the George Michael lovelies. There ain't no point in moving on till you've got somewhere to go. And the road that I have walked upon, will it fill my pockets and emptied out my So strong, you look for your dreams in heaven, but tell me what the hell are you supposed to do when they come true. There's one year of my life in these songs, and some of them are about you. Too late to try again. Here I am. 
Right on. Right on. Thank you. Was that enough reverb for everybody? I wasn't sure. That was great. <laughs> yes, you got to so, have reverb. And yeah, well, that, that, whole, that whole album drowns in it, especially that song. So I said, okay, how can I, um, you know, it, to me, that's the most important song in his whole catalog um, for me personally, because it, in a way it's kind of his soft coming out. You know, right. when you look at the right. lyrics, you know, here I am. I've done all this fame and fortune. You know, I've done all this stuff. He doesn't come out and say I'm gay. But to me, that, that that's kind of his, okay, take it or leave it. Here I am. I made all these mistakes. I've, I've, I've reached the mountaintop. It's not all that, all you know, it's not all that I, it, it, he just didn't know how to handle the fame. You know, he's very much an introvert like our, our dear prince was even though he's able to professionally not, whoops, excuse me, not be one. So um, to me, that song is very meaningful. And if you saw him like I did in 2008 for the 25 live tour, he actually opens the entire show with that. And like you and I were talking earlier, Chris, that huge video screen, those huge video screens, there's a little opening. And when he, when he sings that last here I am, it opens up and there's that silhouette of him and it, you know, the crowd goes nuts, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, that that it, uh, I I thought you know what a better way to uh, try to give a little homage to him than that, that song. So. Yeah, I mean that was that was wonderful, and and Vicky Lee is also joining us. And the, hey, the genesis the genesis of this whole podcast today, for those of you who are coming in blind, uh, Vicky and I did a podcast a while back about Prince's unreleased album Camille. And um, at that time, Vicky made a comparison between Prince and George Michael, specifically the use of processed vocals to sound to make the male voice sound more female. And she mentioned George Michael, and I jumped right on it. I said, "Oh, George is one of my favorite male vocalists of all time," and I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be averse to doing a, a spinoff podcast dedicated to George Michael because he's one of my favorite, favorite vocalists ever. So, and that's how this came to be. And we got Kurt on board because Kurt saw our podcast on YouTube and yep. reached out to me and said, hey, I saw him live in 2008, yep. New York City, I believe, right? No, actually, uh, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. That's okay. Okay, Washington, D.C. I would love to have seen him. And, the uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we got we got Kurt involved, so he'll tell us a little bit about about that show. And, of course, I've, I've been exposed to that tour as well because uh, over the past couple of weeks preparing for this podcast, I uh, ordered a few items in preparation and one of them was the the blu-ray uh george michael live in london which highlights the two nights in london at the o2 the 25 live tour in 2008 so um yeah that's a very very good tour and very interesting set list i'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit but uh yeah, I just wanted to 
to do something like I say to pay tribute to George and his artistry and the tremendous legacy he has left uh, on the world. So uh, thank you as well, Vicky, joining us all the way from the UK. And uh, it's good to have you back on the Purple Nights podcast. Thank you for letting me come back. Yes, definitely. So um, where do we want to start? I guess I can start with my uh, my introduction to uh, George Michael's music, which I'm sure a lot of people in my generation and slightly older because I was only four years old when I first heard George Michael, but uh, it was uh, the Make It Big album with his duo Wham that he was in with uh, Andrew Ridgely. And uh, yeah, the Make It Big album was was uh, my introduction to George Michael, specifically the track Everything She Wants. Mm-hmm. And also Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Uh, but Everything She Wants was huge uh, for my four and five-year-old self. I remember I had the, the seven-inch single on vinyl. And I remember playing it repeatedly till I wore it out. Uh, just always loved George's voice and his image too. He's a, he was a very handsome gentleman, very charismatic. And uh, yeah, that was my first exposure to George. What are your what are your introduction stories for George Michael? Vicky, I'll let you go first. Um, <clears throat> I guess. I remember when I was younger, me and my mum, when we went to visit my nan, would always um, go around neighbourhoods at Christmas, look at all the Christmas lights. And there are certain songs that I kind of vaguely remember. And I think that at the time, mum had um, the two CD Ladies and Gentlemen. So obviously every popular single Under the Sun is on there. But um, it wasn't until... I think 2018, I applied to work at my local hospital that's about an hour bus up the road. And whenever mum would pick me up from my days there, I only done a week, but whenever mum would pick me up, um, something in my head was just like, put George Michael on. And I think that's because, I think the year earlier, whilst um, my dad was still around, I stumbled upon outside the song and the video and the fact that it was generated <laughs> because he was caught doing some stuff in a public park yes and I was in a slump back then and I loved people who or I still do love people that can make light out of anything bad and turn something into something edgy and I was like this guy is got caught doing the do in his local park and he's decided to make this incredible funky shiny song about it and I remember sitting down and making my dad watch the video with me fast forward a year later um, it was him who inspired me to go into trying to work at a hospital and I just feel like thanks to George Michael I have this one person that connects me to my mum and to my dad and to other people who I love and hold near and dear to my heart. So thanks, mum and dad. 
very, very nice. That's a very, very nice story. And it's, again, it shows how music connects us all. But Kurt, what, what's your history with George Michael? I mean, how did you first discover wow. him? Um, so when I was a suburban teenager in the 80s, um, I was into the hard rock and heavy metal more so than I was into, oh, yeah, listen, uh, you know, my, I always tell people, my first show I went to see was Judas Priest in 1984 at the Cap Center in DC. I've, I've seen them probably countless times, including recently in May. So there's still a bit of, bit of that in, in me left. But when I used to get my hair cut many, many hairstyles ago, when I had spiked hair and a mullet that was permed in the back, it was the days of Motley Crue and Bon Jovi. So, you know, <laughs> um, I went to this hair salon in Connecticut where I went, went, was going to high school at the time. And um, there was this woman who owned the salon that I went to, Edna, and she was Portuguese. I clearly remember her, her to this day. And she was a humongous George Michael fan. We would talk about music, and I was like, eh, you know, whatever, George Michael. She says, no, you have to get his new album, Faith, that just, just came out. And I, and I had known I had known, Wake Me Up Before You Go, Go. Careless Whisper was something you couldn't ignore because it was constantly played in the early mid 80s. You, you, you couldn't get away from it. All every easy listening station, you, you, you know, you right away with that saxophone. So you knew you knew what you were getting yourself into. But, you know, and I gave him credit, you know, he, you know, the guy could write a, a serious tune. You know, I wasn't as much of a fan of the bubblegum, uh, wake me up before you go go stuff. Everything oh. she wants, I liked if I had to pick an early one that that one got, uh, resonated. Yeah. Uh, Faith was, for, for a lot of us, Faith was a game changer. I mean, that's where I was like, okay. And like when you guys brought up the whole uh, Verispeed vocals um, uh, that he does on, on Hard Day, on that album, on, the, on, on this wonderful, wonderful album. The Shep Pettibone remix is my favorite, of course. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, he's kind of doing what Prince does on, on his... Vocal, you know, vocals. And at that time, Sign of the Times was in my cassette deck. <laughs> yep. I, the, I, was wearing, I was wearing the Faith album uh, on cassette and Sign of the Times. Those two albums were, it, were definitely in my, in my glove box, in, in my car. Uh, so uh, that's where I, I, I took notice. And then, you know, I, I got hooked on the remix that he did with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Uh, for Monkey, I wish they had done a whole album together. I think that would have been just lit as shit. I mean, that just would have, you know, that would have been something to to yeah. Uh, but uh, he he definitely, um, you know, later down the road, all the different albums are like postcards for me. I remember who I was dating, where I was living, what I was going through. He definitely has this emotional resonance, and as a gay man not knowing he was gay quite yet or coming out. There was all this innuendo. People were suspecting that he was, in fact, uh, gay. Um, I really took to the Listen Without Prejudice album in particular. That, that album, res and older, all, all the rest of them after that, of course. But, but that one resonated with me the most. But uh, there you go. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible story. And, yeah, he's been a significant part of all three of our lives sounds like musically. And for me, it was 
I I have a little regret, you know, going through his podcast the past couple or going through his catalog the past couple weeks. Um, you know, it was like, where was I? I was so wrapped up in the Prince thing all those years ago that I never, I never dived into George's catalog really beyond, beyond faith. Really, I mean, I knew everybody, everybody and their mother knew about Freedom Ninety because it was a huge single from Listen Without Prejudice, and I knew about that, and I knew about you know, the one-off singles like Too Funky and uh-huh. and stuff like that. But other than that, George had pretty much fallen off my radar at around 1989 or so. But so I have a lot of regret when it comes to not being tuned in to his uh, discography and, and his work. But um, yeah. But just going through, going through his catalog. I mean, he put out, he put out some great stuff. I mean, Listen Without Prejudice is, is a, is a great, great album. And I know on the, the Freedom documentary, Freedom Uncut, that just came out earlier this year. Um, there are several people, that, who talk about the opening track, Praying for Time, um, they talk about it in terms of it being a very anthemic nod to John Lennon in the vein, in the sort of in the vein of Imagine, sort of. Absolutely. And I totally see that, that correlation and that connection. And uh, it's just tremendous, you know, discovering the bulk of this music for the first time for me is a very uh, special and very revelatory uh, experience. But uh, yeah, I mean, where, where do we want to steer this discussion toward? I know we don't have time to get into all five albums in depth really, but um, do we Uh, just want to jump? If you don't mind me jumping in, Chris, uh, sure. just to t- tie in a point, uh, the Beatles' influence, uh, the way I look at faith, if we were going to pair Prince and George Michael and the parallels, faith is his purple rain. We'll always be, we'll always be his monster. That, that'll be it. Yeah. And to me, uh, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, is his Around the World in a Day. Okay. It, it, it's much more introspective. It's much more personal. Um, and, and, you know, even though Prince claims that the Beatles weren't necessarily an influence on, on him and around the world, they, which I call BS on. Um, because I know Lisa and Wendy were constantly playing things like Revolver and Rubber Soul to him. Um, right, right. You know, uh, there's a clear Beatles influence like there was on Around the World of the Day. I think there was. Um, not just in Praying for Time, there was more John Lennon-esque, but, but a song that he later re-recorded with uh, Paul McCartney, uh, and that's Heal the Pain. Let yes. me tell you a secret. I mean, it just sounds like Paul McCartney. And then when you hear Paul McCartney sing, it's like, well, Christ, that sounds like something Paul would have written. It was right. definitely an homage to the, to the Beatles, those two songs in particular. And then he got into the jazzier stuff 
Cowboys and Angels. I mean, he'd already, you know, uh, with uh, Kissing a Fool was his first real foray into jazz. What a brilliant song. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he definitely could cover all these different styles of music seamlessly. Dance, club, jazz, Beatles folky stuff. I mean, he, he's very diverse as a performer, like Prince was. Prince, could, Prince had a tremendous musical vocabulary in terms of the styles that he could cover and cover well. Maybe some would argue that maybe hip-hop and rap was, wasn't his forte, but I, I always liked that stuff in the 90s. But, you know, George could go, could, could go from rock to ballad, jazz ballad, to, to club, to, you know, whatever he decided he wanted to get his hands on. Bossa Nova. It was very influenced on the older album by, you know, stuff. So anyway, thought I thought I'd bring that up. Right, because even when you're speaking to the diversity, you know, of his catalog, I mean, just thinking about a handful of my favorite tracks across the various albums, there's, you know, Heal the, Heal the Pain, which is a very, you know, Paul McCartney-esque, you know, very poppy Beatles feel to it. And then there's there, there's uh, songs like Jesus to a Child, which is very slow and reverent and just absolutely breathtaking. Uh, then there's, you know, songs like uh, Freak, which I absolutely love. Uh, it's one of my favorites in his entire catalog. You know, just a absolute club banger, you know. Um, yeah, just so much diversity from album to album and song to song. Yeah. And, um, you know, Chris, watching that freak video, sorry to interrupt for a second, just um, it reminded me of kind of what Lil Nas X would do later on in his uh, video for Panini with the kind of robotic look. So if you look at Freak 04 and you look at that, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's where he got that from. Okay. Yep. A little, you know, I mean, Lil Nas X certainly, uh, I, I, but any money was certainly influenced by George Michael. Oh, for sure. Whether he knows it or not, or whether he, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know him uh, like that, but, uh, you know, uh, and of course, Blade Runner is a huge in, influence on that video as well. But, yes. Um, but the robot thing, I was like, when, when uh, George is in that whole kind of robotic looking custom, I'm like, God, that looks like Lil Nas X took a cue from that. Or some video director said, hey, this would look really cool. And so, you know, his yes. influence on pop culture today, you know, you can see it. So. Yeah, definitely. And Vicky, I feel like I feel like we haven't heard from you in right. a while. Um, there... It's fine. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm here for George. So, OK, OK. Um, is there anything you wanted to add to anything we've been saying so far? Um. You mentioned favorite songs, and I was going to say, oh, can I say my three favorite? But I forgot one of them, so can I say my two favorite? Okay, two. Because um, I know you're going to post this around all the George Michael places, but there may be some new listeners to George, and I thought that if we name drop some songs, then they might be able to jump on at starting points. Yes. yes. Um, I haven't got notes for the first one. I think my all-time favourite George Michael song has to be Look At Your Hands. I don't know why, but it just, there's just such a great vibe to it. Whenever I feel down or I need to dance, I go to that. 
and I'm one of these people who really likes to find out what an artist is trying to say or where they were at the point of recording or writing a song so I took to the internet and I couldn't find much about um, the song but I think it was on songmeanings.com somebody posted how oh it's just a tongue-in-cheek song about how somebody's lost a lover and they've gone their ex has gone to this person who's far worse than them and they're like hey you should have been with me and then I listened to it again one day and this I think it's the second verse really struck me because somebody was saying this is a tongue-in-cheek song but the second verse is like um I can't remember the lyrics exactly, but it's basically insinuating this guy's or this woman's ex-partner used to beat them and it's okay because they were married and it's kind of like a social commentary thing on, I don't know, relationships at the time, but it also feels very dark. And I'm somebody who loves music that sounds so funky, so happy you can dance to it. And then one day you're just listening and then you're like, holy shit, um, that's kind of dark but we're going to carry on dancing because it's just the vibes are off the chart. So I would say that's my number one George wow. Michael song. And that's a deep cut. there's a bit at the end. Um, I think there's like a, a piano and some kind of brass instrument solo. And then it goes into the excuse me, baby, but you're making me mad part. And his vocals for me absolutely go off and I'm just like this is this is everything this is the best thing ever I love that part and yeah if you haven't heard it please go listen to it and dance along with me yeah and I want to add to that Vicky um go for it's it. the only album it's the only uh song in the album that uh George did not write himself and I just double checked because I have the oh wow uh, David Austin, his childhood friend who, who uh, you know, helped him out on a lot of songs, not just Andrew originally when he was in Wham, but David Austin actually co-wrote that song uh, with George. And it, nope. has a, it definitely has a kind of a, it's definitely, a, a, has a character all on its own. That's a great song. Na, 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 take a look at your hands. You got two fat children and a drunken man. Oh, believe me. I remember, you know, I haven't listened to that. I actually haven't sat and listened to that song in years, but, you know, you can't ignore it. It, it almost, to me, had kind of a, I don't know, like a Rolling Stones kind of vibe to it. Um, I, I, lo I absolutely love that song. So that's a great, great cut. Yeah. Deep cut, too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and then what was your second one, Vicky? Yeah, I think I remembered the other one. Is it okay to say? All yes. three? Yes. Cool, okay. So um, I think my next one is I like your sex because I... No, I want your sex. I'm such a bad fan. Um, whenever I listen to it, it just feels like... George Michael admitted himself that with Faith, he wanted to do what Prince and George Michael... No, what Prince and Michael Jackson were doing. And whenever I listen to Faith all the way through, it feels like... This is a guy who is on the verge of his big break going for the biggest people. And I feel like I want your sex and the remix of Monkey mm. are George Michael doing Prince and a little bit of Michael Jackson because every now and again, there's these owls on the Monkey remix. You've got him calling in, um, 
pulling in different instruments like snare and bass and that's something that prince would do actively well, give me some more of that bass i love that i love i love it and there's um a personal thing to me because i was listening to the song a couple of weeks ago was i was walking home and um i just thought that when a certain because i'm a trans woman when I get my surgery for my top I would absolutely love to use I want your sex as the song to reveal hey I've had my surgery I'm feeling sexy I'm feeling like the most me I ever have in my life I'm also really queer and I'm going to use this queer person's song who I absolutely adore and look up to and just have this nice happy moment of gay empowerment and feeling yourself because I feel like maybe in a way that's hidden in the song, but it's just, again, another happy, upbeat, good vibes all around. But when I was growing up, I absolutely adored Michael Jackson and Prince. So for someone else who I adore to do them, it's heaven. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I was, my top two growing up were, were Prince and Michael Jackson. So definitely... Yeah, I definitely, and I definitely feel that vibe with those two tracks that you mentioned, Monkey and I Want Your Sex. And I Want Your Sex is one of my absolute favorites as well. I mean, it's just so irresistibly funky and groovy and, and his, you know, his voice is excellent on it. Um, I I watch a lot of react reaction videos on YouTube uh, people, the majority of whom are in their mid to early to mid 20s, I would say, that haven't previously been exposed to, you know, music from the generations, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s. So they react to songs that they haven't heard before. And I saw somebody reacting to I Want Your Sex and and they were they were kind of laughing at it in a way which kind of made me upset but they they were sort of ruminating on the on the fact that it's it, it uh must be you know tongue-in-cheek or not taking itself very seriously because of all the you know the huh and all that you know that that yeah, yeah, yeah. hyper masculine energy in there mm -hmm. um but I just thought it was an interesting commentary. I'm not sure where I fall, if I fall in agreement with the reactor or if I see it differently. But yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite songs by George. And whenever it comes on, it's just one of those things that's, it's one of those songs that's really infectious and you just have to move when you hear it. So yeah, definitely. Uh, Faith as a whole, as an album, is is probably my number one album in this whole catalog. And I hate to say that because I know hardcore George Michael fans are probably going to roll their eyes and say, oh, you picked the most commercial, the most popular, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, the masses and stuff like that. But um yeah, Faith to me as an album is just, especially the first half, is just darn near flawless to me. 
Um, those first four tracks are what uh, best uh, four track sequences of any popular album that I've ever that I've ever heard. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing. And then what was the what was your third what was your third song, Vicky? Did you say it? Um, no, I. When I was thinking about my top three, I was thinking I don't want to just give this all to Faith right. because even though it is an amazing album, um, I think that my favorite George Michael album is older, and I really <laughs> relate to how grief-stricken and how sad but kind of making the best out of it it is and earlier this year I turned 22 and I remember using Ugh. older the um I remember using strange baby don't you think I'm looking older as like the caption for an Instagram post and yeah. I feel like this year I really fell in love with the album and I was watching um the a different story movie documentary from I think 2005 and it was going through his life and it got to the older thing with his partner passing away and his mum dying yeah. and they played a bit of you have been loved and there is three lines that really stood out to me I'm about to go really sad so I'm sorry but Please. the three lines that really stood out to me were if I was weak, forgive me, but I was terrified. And that really hit me because when I was 18, my dad got ill and passed away thanks to cancer. Mm. And I remember mm. feeling exactly the same because mm. I didn't know what to do. This was my first experience, but I heard that. And I was like, George, you've done it again. You've perfectly put it into words exactly how I was feeling. And even though it was a really terrible painful time um it, I can say to my dad you have been loved because I loved him then and I love him now and I connect with him through George Michael so you have been loved as my final song yes that's one of my favorites as well uh just an amazingly beautiful poignant uh vocal delivery and yeah, the whole the whole album older is is really really resonant and it's it's something that's that's really mature and different from George. It stands out to me as something very very different in his catalog and not not different in a bad way, but different in a in a striking, you know, artistic, very mature very um, poignant, emotional, resonant way. And yeah, I just, Older is my my second favorite album of, of the studio albums. And it, it's just, it has such a great vibe to it and, and so emotional. And like you said, Vicky, it's him taking tragedy and, you know, using it as strength and making the best out of it that he can and learning lessons from it and connecting with himself deeper, you know, through it. And, you know, you mentioned that documentary, A Different Story, and he talks about the song Jesus to a Child, 
and it's his his love letter basically to Ed Selmo, who was his partner, uh, who passed away, I believe in '91 from from AIDS, and um, yeah, it's just a very that whole love story. I really felt, you know, watching the two documentaries, A Different Story and Freedom Uncut, I really felt George's love and joy and just devotion to this man. And I really was really engrossed and enveloped in their whole love story. And it it was just so, so tragic. And it made me emotional uh, because, you know, when you're in love, when you love someone that deeply with your whole soul, and you know they leave you, um, it's it's never easy. But the way he was able to to process that loss, and also the loss of his mother, and um, you know work through that loss through his art. What is is absolutely inspiring, and it's yes, it's sad and it's emotional, but it's it's inspiring and uplifting all the same because it speaks to the human power to heal and be resilient and rise up, you know, through grief with love. So, love and understanding and learning and and all that. So. Yeah, it's just an amazing album, and yeah, that's an amazing song. And and on all these songs, I mean, I could repeat myself like a broken record, but George's voice is second to none. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I mean, to me, there's there's maybe four or five male vocalists that I could that I could you know call to mind that are that are absolutely uh, breathtaking in terms of their their skill. And I would say uh, Prince Michael Jackson and George Michael are my top three. Uh, Freddie Mercury is also up there and Steve Perry from Journey. Uh, but there are, there are such transcendent voices in music that are like I say, that are once in a once in a generation, once in a lifetime talents, and George is is certainly one of them. And older is a very very. It's a very resonant album, and it, it it's really. I don't know how else to describe it other than mature because it's so. It's so different from from anything else George ever did. And, and I, I believe he said, I believe there's a quote on the website where, from George himself, where he said, he said something to the effect of "Older is my masterpiece." So he said, so, "Older is my best work." Older is my best work. There you go. So yeah, he he mentioned that uh, Jal Gilberto, <clears throat> who was a very much an influence. Uh, People will know him from the girl from Ipanema. Sure. And then he was in love with that music. I think Anselmo Filippo, the relationship that he was in, this guy being from Brazil, as 
George performed at Rock and Rio in 91. Right. right. Where he met Anselmo. That music uh, is permeates, you know, the Boston, it's all, not all directly Bossa Nova, but it's definitely Bossa Nova influenced. Yeah. And, that, uh, Bossa Nova, very, yeah. very jazzy as well. Oh, it's it's tremendous. Uh, the title track's my favorite off that. Uh, but all, all the songs and the lyrics have resonance. I mean, it doesn't really matter at all. I was just listening to that in the car the other day, and damn, the lyrics are just, you know, being able to take sadness the way he did. I mean, losing his mom, losing his first lover, um, and his father's still with us, and and his sister didn't pass away that long ago either. Um, I, think his, I, I think his father's the only one standing, right? I think the father's the only one. Yes, in, yes. I mean, you know, on the flip side, you know, nobody should lose their own son or daughter. And here he, you know, he's lost his son. I know that he loved tremendously. But yeah. he's able to take tremendous, tremendous heartbreak and sadness and turn it into... Um, Turn it into something absolutely heartbreakingly beautiful, beautiful art. Um, and he himself yeah. with mental health, I mean, he covers his mother's uh, brother who committed suicide, I believe, right? But he, he covers this on the, on, the, on the Patience album, My Mother Had a Brother. Yes, yes. Intensely personal song. Yes. And, you know, I suspect that maybe George himself had those mental health issues because there was a history of mental illness in the family. I understand. Right. And perhaps was something that George himself had. I mean, the tremendous loss of two key f figures is, is very close to his mother. So I'm sure that did no favors for his mental health. And, and the guy dies on Christmas Day. I mean, damn, yeah. he's got the song. I mean, I know we're sitting here going through all the bullet points. It's depressing as all hell, but yeah. I mean, and he died. I mean, there's only one other major musical artist I remember that died on Christmas, and that was James Brown. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, 2006. Yeah, yep. I believe 2006. He dies on Christmas Day, and George. Well, you know, I mean, we're going to remember James Brown for a whole host of different reasons, but you know, George. Every time I hear "Last Christmas," I can't get out of my head. The fact that he passed away on Christmas Day, it's like, come on, 2016 was the worst year. Bowie dies in January, Prince dies in April, and the cap all things off for the end of the year. It's like, it's like the, there wasn't a middle finger big enough. Yeah. Yet there just wasn't a middle finger big enough to say F you to 2016. It's like we lost these tremendous, pivotal, game-changing artists. I you remember... Know, anyway. I remember in twenty. I remember in twenty twenty when COVID, you know, was first breaking out. People were saying that twenty twenty was absolutely awful, and I I kept saying twenty twenty's got nothing on twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen was the worst year I think I'll ever remember in my lifetime overall. Yeah, sure. I mean, we had a. You know, I mean, we we lost over a million people here in the states for a variety of reasons, but um, and that was tremendously. But there was a weirdness to to twenty twenty, Chris, and I and I think Vicky, we we can all attest to the fact that there was this isolationist component to COVID right. because we're all having to be on lockdown, so we were kind of in a bubble to all 
anybody else's tragedy. And we would see things on the news and stuff, but trying to, you know, not get sick and all this other stuff, you kind of were in this bubble of security right? and self-preservation and self-protection. And in 2016, we were kind of, you know, we didn't have any restrictions. So I, I get what you're saying. 2016 was a, you know, man. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but yeah, in a strange way. Yeah. yeah, and there, there's another, there's another album that I want to, that I want to mention really quick that I was surprised that I liked because I have, I have such an odd, idiosyncratic relationship with, with cover songs and people that do cover oh. songs, because in my mind they never quite live up to the original. So mm-hmm. when I found out that George did a covers album, I was like, oh, am Sounds I going to like this century. or am I going to, you know, is it going to bore me? Am I am I going to skip through it? Am I gonna, absolutely going to hate this? And mm-hmm. I put it on and listened to it straight through. And I was like, wow, this is my third favorite album in the catalog. It's an absolute tremendous album. Yeah. And that's songs yeah. from the last century criminally underrated here in the states crim criminally underrated here in the states. and that was his only album with virgin of course you know we mm, right right we should yeah. get into later the whole dispute with sony music and all that the, oh, the we, whole... th- th- this is part one we'll just say we'll just call it right here and right now because yeah. this is part one because you can't just wrap george up into i i you know i believe we could do more, much more uh, <laughs> yeah you know yeah dive but... deep dives but songs from the last century, I mean, it's just tremendous. I mean, it's, it's you know, um, for me, the thing that stands out is how much George's voice is highlighted. You know, it's so simple. It's just music and his voice. Yep. These great songs, these standards. And it's just absolutely mesmerizing and breathtaking what he's able to do interpret these cover songs and you know the roberta flack tune first time i ever ever i saw your face george i owns mean it. come Sorry. on george george owns that compared to roberta and I, roberta's is a tremendous artist in her own right but when i heard his version of it i mean that was on my wedding playlist <laughs> i can tell you right now i yeah, have sung and- that to aaron a number of times in karaoke slightly drunk but um <laughs> <laughs> slightly tipsy but uh, uh, that, 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 oh, you feel every word when he sings that. Every word. I get choked up thinking about it. He, he's yeah. just that, that. And let's not forget on that album, the legendary producer, Phil Ramone. Right. Okay. Who worked with extensively over the past, however long ago he died, I forget, 2010 maybe. He uh, worked with Billy Joel on a number of Billy Joel's albums. Uh, he actually engineered the Gilberto, uh, Stan Getz, uh, Joel Gilberto album that Girl from Ipanema is on. So he's had a long storied career working with legendary artists himself. And I don't know whose this idea it was to pick. I'm sure it was George's. Is George, George pretty much controlled his own career. You know, he drove the, he, he drove the, sure. he, he had the hand on the steering wheel except for a few incidences in London before. But, um, Sure. He he uh he definitely drove his career, and 
you know, and the having the big band arrangements of songs like the police's Roxanne. Yes. Um, the the deep cut was Miss Sarajevo, which is technically not U2. It's a side project that Bono and the edge did called passengers. I actually have that album. They did an album called passengers and Miss Sarajevo actually has uh, famous, uh, the late great Luciano Pavarotti singing uh, on that as well. Uh, I don't wow. think, and George has worked with Luciano as well um, for his uh, uh, charity concerts back in the day. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a great, that's a, that's a tremendously wonderful album. I put it on at work. Pilks are acting like, who, who is this? Who is this singing the songs? It's George Michael. Really? What is, is it an album? I said, yeah, this is great. You need to have this album. Everybody needs to have that album. Yeah. yeah. All his albums, but that's a that's one for people who aren't necessarily a George Michael fan. So. I mentioned yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I know that this is um, a podcast about Prince, and whilst we're on the topic of covers, um, Something that I've noticed, another similarity between George and Prince is um, the fact that I remember when I was just getting into George a couple of years ago, I would look at his set lists or when he performed, I think, his covers cover and the covers album. And I looked at them and I was like, it feels like he's doing more covers than his own music. Mm-hmm. And when Welcome to America, the box set was released, I have a personal connection to Welcome to America. So it was like, yes, I finally get this album and a live concert of him performing it. No, it's, the concert is like 10 covers. And I remember being so disappointed that the live concert was almost half covers. And then over here in the UK, I think it's absolute 80s played just under an hour of the show on their radio station. And it went through, I think, Inglewood Swinging, and play that funky music and then the video went on youtube of him playing fantastic voyage or the band after he's left the stage Mm -hmm. and i remember i remember watching the clip it's like 13 minutes three songs for the first time and thinking this guy can play these songs he's playing his guitar with one hand the band is so tight and it feels like towards the end of prince's life he was giving out credit to people who he loved and he would play their songs like Michael Jackson on the crazy to cool video and it feels yep. like the older they got the more they would play the songs of the people they loved and kind of bring their fans into it because I know that the past couple of months Fantastic Voyage has been on repeat and that's because of Prince so I think that as incredible as they are as their own artists as, as doing their own artistry they are also able to take other people's songs and completely flip them on the head and in my opinion probably make them better but i just love them so i'm biased yeah yeah that's a good point though mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah that the older they get the more the more they're prone to sharing the music that they love that moves them sure sure and like you said getting a whole new generation or a whole new area of fans you know turned on to this music that they grew up with and that they love and i think that's part of the the sort of cyclical nature of well life in general but artistry especially um you know you have to pay 
homage to those those people that, who have gone before you, who have inspired you. And I think that's one of the best things you can do as an artist is is show appreciation for the the people that inspired you. So, yeah. George never, yeah, George never um, shied away from his influences. I think early in Prince's career, he deliberately, you know, I don't listen to any artists and stuff like that. It was all part of his calculated, uh, uh, he, you know, he didn't want to be marketed as a black artist. He didn't want to be marketed this way or that way. But as right. he got older, like you said, Vicky, he definitely embraced uh, who his influence. I mean, Joni Mitchell was always one that he brought up at all phases of his career and right. Shaka Khan and, and, and all that and Larry Grant, Sly and the Family Stone, Fleetwood Mac and all that. But um, George right. never shied away. I mean, Stevie Wonder was one of his greatest influences. I, mean, I was going to say one that, one I mean, that Prince and George share a big one, Stevie yeah. Wonder. Yeah. How can you That's not? A big I mean, one. Stevie's, Stevie's one of the goats, one of the last in his generation who's still with us too. I mean, you know, yeah. Stevie goes, I always, I always pray at night. My, my, Nightly prayers is may Stevie Wonder uh, sleep in bubble wrap. Amen. You know, yeah. because we're losing these artists at in, in their seventies, and uh, you know he he's <laughs> one of the greats. I mean, George's cover. I mean, you talk about covers. George's cover of "They Won't Go When I Go." That took huge balls for him to cut. First of all, to cover that song, but to cover Stevie Wonder as a white artist, I I would just call it out for what it is. Many people are like. Mm-hmm. Because he he doubled down on the fact that he won a, in a category in the American Music Awards, which is typically given to black artists, he won for that right. and right. got a lot of flack for it. Right, right. So he doubled down on that and said, look, he named the album Listen Without Prejudice as a response to that. I right. think one of the documentaries that you we, we all uh, watched covers that part. Right. And... Uh, you know, listen without prejudice. Look, my influences I wear on my sleeve. Elton John, certainly. You know, God, you know, their duet version of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me from that cover to cover tour. I mean, that's one of the great all time, you know. I mean, that's better than the original. I mean, it's very, it's very hard to say that because Elton, you know, Elton John's basically on Elton John's original version, you have the Beach Boys backing him up on vocals on that. Yeah. Go yeah. back and listen to it, people. You know, Beach Boys, one of my favorites, uh, uh, you know, when Brian Wilson was in it. And, um, and while, we're, while we're on the subject of covers and yeah. paying homage to your influences and people who've inspired you as an artist, um, I need to mention a performance which George actually said that he, in his estimation, was the, the best performance of his career the best live performance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, was somebody to love from the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you hear, when you hear the reasons behind why he says that's so impactful, again, I got very emotional because mm -hmm. he's not only doing it for Freddie, he's doing it for Anselmo and mm -hmm. Anselmo is in the audience. Yep. And, and like, I just found out. Right. Not that long ago that he was positive, HIV positive. Yeah, at that point, they didn't know, mm. you know, mm. our, you know, mm. and Somo's sick, but at that point, George didn't know, am I sick as well? You know, he had no idea. So when you hear that, it's just, 
and then you watch the performance and it's like my god you know there's it's really really powerful really emotional and just yeah it's i can't i can't overstate how much how emotional hearing about george and anselmo's relationship made me in the end because I don't know, it was just, you could tell that it was a love for the ages, and it just made and me emotional. Time, but at that time, with AIDS just being a death sentence and a, a stigma, and an artist who, like him, who was not out, right, fully out, right, um, and, you know, having Freddie Mercury, I mean, it, it, all these things that weighed upon his head, and here he not only rises to the occasion, but knocks it out of the park. I mean, that was a total home, home run. That five live was just a total home run. Yeah. yeah. Um, and God, classic rock stations, pop stations played that. I won't say to death, but they played that a lot. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people had respect for George, whether they were a rock and roll fan or what have you. I mean, the guy could sing his ass off. The guy could sing. He could I mean, what a tremendous voice and you know he wasn't a trained singer by any stretch uh and i would have loved personally if he had lived and maybe taken better care of himself not smoked and all that um i would love to have seen him take on opera or art songs from classical music different periods uh you know you don't want to talk yes. about classical but he i you know i could totally have seen him done you know, some more mainstream things like Schubert's Ave Maria and maybe had covered some light operetta stuff because he he, he packed the gear for that. Um, yes. Without getting yeah. too technical, I, I always noticed that when he did like, buddy, can you spare me a dime with the big band? He always had a little bit of jaw tension. But I get why he did because he wanted to do a good job. But there was a lot of tension uh, when, it, when I watched him sing certain performances. Not everything, but right. just a natural... If he never wrote any songs, he would have just been a fantastic covers artist. But he boasted all this other stuff on top of it as an original writer right. of music. I mean, when Elton John's saying, hey, this guy ain't no flash in the pan, he knew that Wham! wasn't just going to be... Elton's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yes. Let's just, let's just be clear. Yes. Elton John's a giant. Okay? And when somebody like him saying, you know, this George guy's pretty good. <laughs> well, not more than pretty good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's just coming from one of the goats <laughs> that you know you're a really good songwriter i mean anybody would would love to have had the stamp of elton john's approval on that yeah and and this this other point i want to make and i know i'll i'll get in hot water with the brits because not many brits uh -oh. that i know and that i've talked to uh are particularly fond of james corden but <laughs> uh but George Michael pretty much put oh. carpool karaoke on the map. Oh yeah, uh, he made carpool karaoke what it is today. Yeah, and if you haven't, if you guys haven't seen the George Michael karaoke, I'm talking to all you listeners and all you viewers on YouTube and Spotify and right. all over. If you guys haven't seen that, I would really suggest you go watch George Michael carpool karaoke because it's. It's 
amazing. It's amazing. And George George was so funny in his sense of comedic timing and his his talent for for acting. I mean, he should have done more acting. He did a show in the U.S. called Eli Stone that was inspired by his music. But he really should have done more acting. And he also did a thing with Ricky Gervais as well. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but he played a, uh, you know, hyperbolicized version of himself with Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Gervais is so, Ricky Gervais is so damn funny. I mean, he's yeah. just yeah, and it was so great. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. I won't, I won't, I won't talk about James Corden anymore. But uh, yeah, but the George Michael Carpool Karaoke. I mean, it's just one of those things you have to see because it's just, it's awesome. It started a whole trend because then, yeah. you know, like Mariah Carey, I think says in that one of the documentaries, you know, well, if carpool karaoke is good enough for George, it's good enough for me. Right. You know, exactly. No slouch in the vocal department either. So yeah. And yeah. a great songwriter in her own right. Yeah. 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 So oh. what else do we want to mention? I know that, I know that the the special edition, the special deluxe edition of older is finally coming out after being delayed about two million times. <laughs> three, finally, three days from this taping, right? Three days from this taping? Yep. It's the thirtieth of September it comes out. Yep. yep. So taping so. and recording. Sorry. Can't get can't can't get over uh, the fact that we don't tape anymore. Yeah, so, well, yeah, I, yeah. I still I still call it taping. I mean, I tape All my right. TV shows. You know, I don't really, I don't literally tape my TV yeah, shows nobody anymore. Nobody does but, anymore. Yeah, but I still call it taping. So us old folks still use the vernacular, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe, I mean, the, the, maybe the parallels between him and uh, the disputes he had with his record label, much like Prince did later on, with Warner Brothers, I mean, you know, that held, you know, George wasn't necessarily as prolific as Prince was. I don't think anybody is uh, right. in the pop music world, certainly. Uh, but they both, for for different reasons, they both, you know, battled their record company because, you know, Prince had a much better deal starting his career than George did with Wham. Let's just keep it real. Prince yeah. had it pretty good those early years in Warner Brothers. He doesn't yeah. have really yeah. much to complain about. Let's be honest. Yeah. He had a much what what those guys were getting in the Wham deal was just pennies to the dollar. I mean, it was it yeah. was piss poor contract. And when he went on to do his own uh, solo stuff, they wanted to hold him to the same agreement. It was like, no, I made you two hundred fifty million dollars on this Faith album and the tour and everything like that, and I'm getting what? Uh, uh, not right. Yeah, and, and it took was years all... off his career to fight it. And after Anselmo had passed away, right? He gets into that whole court trial. Right. <laughs> this guy, let me tell you what. And and he says in the documentary that the court trial was a good place to put his emotion and put his rage and all of his emotion into. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Gotta... But he... He all, the whole lawsuit, not only that, not only because of the money he was making or wasn't making, 
but also because they wanted to pigeonhole him as this artist, as this sex symbol, as this, you know, heterosex symbol, which, you know, in hindsight, we know that he wasn't yeah. out yet, so he was still, yeah. you know, playing that whole game, but they wanted yeah. to control his image as well, and, yeah. and you know, um, pretty much... Well, yeah, Pretty much like yeah. like Prince said, you know, if you, if you don't own your masters, your master owns you. Yeah. So, and he even gives a shout out to uh, one of his performances, you know, "Peace to George Michael." Yes, yes. I understand that they both had phone conversations. Uh, Prince had actually called George up. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and, I heard that as well, and it. I know and that spoke about it. I know that he wrote an open letter to George Michael as well. That's out there. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I have to look did. at that again. Yeah, so, I mean, Prince had a lot. Apparently, had a lot of respect for him. I'm oh, sure he kind of. I'm sure he kind of gave one of those looks that only he could have given when he heard. I'm sure he heard the Faith album like everybody. So, oh I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. he heard Hard Day and said, mm, "I wonder where he got that from." I can only. <laughs> I could just see that going through his head. But it's like, okay, fair enough. You know, exactly. I'm not the exactly. only one who can. You know. Sorry, I was just going to say that you yeah. saying that about Hard Day reminds me of when um, Prince was performing um, What Have You Done For Me Lately on the new tour and he was like, who wrote that? Because it's so Prince, but Prince hasn't touched it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him I saw him do that at a club show with uh, Tamar Davis. With the oh, twins wow. backing him up. With the twins backing him on vocal, vocal, uh, backing vocals. Oh yeah, that was surreal. To, to see Prince on stage doing the song that Jam and Lewis wrote for Janet. That was surreal. But yeah, yeah. Now that his influence is in there for, for real. For sure. And there was a there was a recent article, I I forget who said it, but in the article, somebody in uh Prince's camp that worked with Prince basically said that well, it was their opinion, but I think it's pretty spot on. They said that the the control album Janet Jackson's control album was basically all Prince grooves. I don't uh, know if I necessarily agree with that. I well, mean, I don't know either. But it's I mean, interesting to think about. <laughs> play, pleasure principle, you know, Monty Moore writing that, you know, member of the time, which is uh, one of my all-time favorite Janet yeah, songs. That's a great, yeah, it's a great groove. I could see that one. Because it had the classic synth sounds and, and some of the drum beats, but Jam and Lewis were purposely using 808 drum machines, which Prince wasn't necessarily using in the 80s, to give their rhythm parts anyway a different sonic identity. And the use of samplers on songs like Nasty, I would I would I would venture to say, were deliberately not wanting to sound like Prince, because Prince wasn't really using a whole hell of a lot of sampling in the right. 80s. Uh, right. but, but the musical structure of it, I could see that. The music, I, I'm sure that their, their sonic identity was deliberately, you know, the window dressing that they were using was not Lindrum. Wasn't all the synths that Prince used. Right. His so maybe, <laughs> right. I mean, if, we, if we stripped it down, maybe, yeah. Oh, okay, I can see where they got that. I mean, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I could see that. But And um, then, um, I don't know if we want to talk about anything past uh 2004 2005 because i didn't i didn't get much into the unreleased stuff i focused uh 
my research was all on the released stuff, so I didn't get into the to the unreleased stuff, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about and to preface this, I should say that we don't none of us sanction the unauthorized sale of bootlegs at all. But We're not about that. that. Having said that, though, there's some funky stuff out there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's Which out there. At least. It's out there, but we're just saying don't pay for it. Oh, of course not. No, of course it's not. not. That's not fair to the artist. Unfortunately, nobody's paying for music anymore anyway. It's it's unfortunate how that yeah. whole business model is 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 going down. But um, his, um, what was I going to say? His... Uh, his 25 greatest hits where he were uh, or actually the absence of Kenny Goss in the uncut documentary, I found kind of a, a little off putting because he was in George's life for 13 years. Yeah. And the fact that they, I don't know whether it was a legal decision. I don't. And it's Kenny Goss certainly didn't seem like he would have disapproved of his presence in there. Um, I don't know what the, the the reasoning behind that was, but I thought that was kind of like, really, you really can't ignore it. It, it ignores entirely his influence and stuff on, on, on George because the whole Patience album has several tracks that are basically dedicated to him. You know, um, yeah. Amazing, uh, American Angel. Um, there's a song for Anselmo as well on there, but... He was a very positive influence on George and, and the appearance that George does on Oprah Winfrey around that time. Yes. Um, you know, some of the happiest that I'd seen, uh, seen George in quite some time. I mean, and he deserved it. He deserved it. He had, I, it's probably one of his happiest moments. I'll be I agree. Not That's why I prefer, I prefer the different story documentary because it actually includes yeah. Does, Kenny, does so it's it's yeah. a bigger picture. It's a fuller, <laughs> it's a fuller slice of the overall story, and also that documentary is a little less stylized and a little more yeah. straightforward than yeah. Freedom Uncut is. Freedom Uncut was a little bit abstract in places where I thought yeah. it could have been a little bit more straightforward. Uh, the last. Uh, the, the fact that they had Stevie Wonder in that Freedom Uncut, though, listening to George sing, They Won't Go When I Go. Yes. And looking at his facial, you could see the active listening just going on. Yes. yes. I mean, you could tell he was very moved by it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the fact that they got, and the fact that they got Stevie to be a part of it. I mean, Stevie obviously liked, liked his stuff, too. I mean, and, and they yeah. worked together. They did they done shows together where, you know, um, and, 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 you know, his duet cover with Mary J. Blige doing as, uh, yeah. the songs of the key of life album. I mean, clearly, and Mary J. Blige, you talk about somebody who's passionate with their, you know, people who's always talking about, Oh, I like sad Mary versus happy Mary J. Blige. But you know, Mary's another artist like George. I bet they were very kindred spirits <clears throat> where they took their, their sadness and all the, horrible stuff happening in their life and yeah. transferred it to their art. Yeah. I think, of a, I think of a song like No More Drama that speaks Oof. to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Mm. Mm. yep. Yeah. So, Vicky, we haven't heard from you in a while. Would you like to yes. add anything? 
I have a story, if it's okay to say. Okay, yes, yes. Um, I don't. I think it's called degrees of separation, where you're so, there's so many people between you right. and someone, and right. um, that relates to me and George Michael because um, when I used to study English and history at Bury St Edmunds Uni. Um, that is when mum would drive me and we'd listen to George Michael. And there is a prison that we would drive past. And that prison that we would drive past is where George Michael was held for four weeks after he had a little accident. And I just used to turn to mum and say, oh, it's funny that I'm listening to George Michael driving past the prison he was held at. And then <laughs> whilst I was reading Andrew's book, I was in the car with mum reading that whilst listening to George Michael going past Mm -hmm. the prison. I was like, mum, it's getting worse. I'm reading and listening to him. But the thing that I wanted to, I don't know, highlight was the fact that I have a friend who used to work at the prison and her mum used to work at the prison. And I'm pretty sure my friend told me that whilst George was there, her mum would like go up to his door and like do her prison officer stuff. But in theory, I'm like four degrees of separation away from George Michael and near the prison he used to be at. Wow. That's great. That's incredible. And you mentioned Andrew Ridgely. Yeah. I think we have to we have to acknowledge that guy because uh, listening to his uh, and you and I have spoken about this, um, listening to him and his audiobook version and his his book, I, I, I really enjoyed it. We have to give him huge credit for being a such a positive influence and, and such a good friend to, to, to George in his life. And, and right. Jorg, as he was always constantly referred to him as, as this abbreviated you know, Greek name, Georgios. And um, that the fact that they both were multicultural. Yes. Uh, spoke to both individuals, uh, you know, as how at the fabric of what made made them who they were and that Andrew really was what was the character that George was playing on and off the stage he was the gregarious one he was the party guy right and 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 I know the tabloids and the press made more out of some of his stuff than he actually did but and you know co-wrote Careless Whisper I mean he co-wrote quite a few songs I mean the guy you know Sorry, right. he just didn't decide to do anything past Son of Albert, his first solo album. Uh, but uh, his influence on George and the fact that they remained, and big respect to George, this says a lot about George, too, is that they remained tremendous friends. I mean, he's in the documentary. Andrew's there. They're casually talking, you know, in the present. You know, you could tell because Andrew doesn't have his hair anymore, his luxurious mane. And and they just carry on. You can tell just the body language, everything. They they they're still good mates. They were still good friends. That's another re- that's another reason, Kurt, why I prefer a different story because of the the Andrew scenes. Yep. And yep. The scenes yep. of them together, you know, in the quote unquote present day of two thousand four, yep. two thousand five. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was just so. It was so great to see such a human side to George and such a down-to-earth side to George, you know, when he yeah. was with Andrew. It was just so, yeah. so great to see and bittersweet. 
made me emotional again. So many, yep. so many things about these documentaries made me really emotional. But yeah, yeah, it was it's great to see. Yeah, so that that documentary, a different story, is really, really good. It's interesting um, how the British press always forgave George. It, 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 it and, and the American press, you know, when George got, got caught in a public bathroom in 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 California, I mean the Brits and and George's like, and right, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did that. He disarmed the press and the and the paparazzi and stuff like that, and the American the American media never forgave him for that when Songs for the Last Century came out. That's why it tanked because they gave him no publicity for it whatsoever, and the reviews for it were, were slanderous. The reviews for them were so slanderous. So he beat the media at their own game, and to pay him back for that, they just de de deliberately uh, smeared his uh, uh, covers album. You know, yeah. so George, George went through a tremendous amount of adversity uh, for such a young age. Uh, all the stuff that he went through in his 20s. I think about, he was he 24 when he did the whole faith thing? That's unbelievable. Yes. yes. It's, unbelievable. A kid, it's a kid to Prince doing Purple Rain at 26. You know, it's absolutely, it, yeah. absolutely mind-blowing. Yep. Mind-blowing. Yeah. So. Um, Can I um, just go back to Andrew for a sec? Yes. Because when I was... Um, when I was starting to get back into George this year, I found out that Andrew had written a book and I thought if I want to learn about George Michael from the most honest perspective, I think that Andrew is the best route to go because they were friends for such a long time. They got famous together and I absolutely love the book. The end made me cry. Thanks, Andrew. And seeing them both in the documentary, um, a different story really made me feel happy because it was all these years later Wham has been gone for ages but they were still like those two childhood best friends having jokes together and I yeah. kind of sat there watching it feeling like this is the closest that we're going to get to those two kids in their bedroom listening to Queen and thinking we're going to start a band together but like right. you said it's the, the friendship sustained and I before I read Andrew's book. I can't remember having a, a good view on Andrew. I don't know why. But then I read his book and I was like, they're such good friends. They're in it together. When George started doing everything himself, Andrew was really understanding. Yeah. And yeah, it's the friendship of all friendships. I'd love to have a friend like that. <laughs> I Seriously, he... He's a was a lovely, lovely guy, and he really took care of George. When George started at that school, new kid uh, in the classroom, and was just you know embarrassed, and he didn't have a great self esteem and stuff like that. Andrew was the cool kid, and he decided to take this on as oh, come on, man. He took George under his wing and made him cool. You know, um, I kind of akin that to. Um, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys and Mike Love. I'm not really a big fan politically of Mike Love of the Beach Boys. I'm just going to put that out there. But Mike Love brought a human uh, mainstream element to Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys in the way that Andrew Ridgely gave 
George, the human, you know, that human side, you know, not having to be such a perfectionist like he was behind the scenes for his music and videos and hair. <laughs> the stories what? that Andrew Richie talked. I said the one thing that pissed him off about George the most was his goddamn hair, getting his hair ready for videos and performances. Like, Jesus, George, come on, man. I know this is top of the pops, but come on, man. Let's get, get, let's get going here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're right. You're right. It, it's an enviable thing i'd love to i'd love to have all of us talk to andrew i'm sure if we could reach out to him let's reach for the literally reach for the stars see if we can get andrew on yeah let's do it i'm game let's do it let's do it i definitely need i definitely need to hear that audio book because it sounds like you 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 do it's worth a listen i've listened to it twice in a row for this so um it, it goes by fairly quickly it's not a long long book he pretty much keeps it up to the Wembley performance and does a little bit of an epitaph, right? Picky and, and, uh, but, and a tribute, you know, when he did the uh, whole uh, tribute to George on the Brit Awards, I think. Yeah. 2017, I think. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was, it was lovely, you know? Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. He did a lovely job. Yeah. And one of the, one of the main things that, that struck me, at the end of Freedom Uncut, he's George is asked how he'd like to be remembered. And he says, I'd like to be remembered as a great singer-songwriter from the last generation of superstars in music. Yeah. And he and mentioned that on. And yes, and he mentions Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna and himself. And, and he yeah, very telling. And he it was very telling that that statement. And to add to what you just said, Chris, sorry if I cut you off there. Um, he mentioned the future of music and, and that that Patience was going to be the last album that he was going to release. I think I listened to an interview separate from the two documentaries we both watched, all all of us watched. Um, and he mentioned how the music business was becoming so fragmented anymore. He was going to put music out, but I could see him doing a similar thing, you know, just putting music on the internet. Yeah. And releasing it that way, or just doing singles or EPs digitally. He knew where the music business was headed. He knew that's where what, it was headed. That's what his plan Very was, clear. to do online mm-hmm. online yeah. releases. He, much. Yep. he was going to have all the profits go to various charities um, yep. that he supported it's yep. a shame. It's a shame that he wasn't able to do that at a lo- larger scale, you know, before he passed. But of course, you know, going through health issues and and stuff like that mm. as well, the latter part of his life and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, but Can I just interject. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just thought that um, even though Patience was his last album, I don't know how familiar you two are, but two of my favorite post patient songs are white light and this is how we want you to get high and there's something about the white light video and it feels like he's reinvigorated ready to go again and I think we had discussions about how there was a white light album being worked on and I was absolutely have loved for the white light album because the song has such a unique sound to it that feels like 
patients, but 10 years later, updated where he is. And he genuinely sounds happy in it. But um, if you haven't heard White Light and This Is How We Want You To Get High, which I think was released with yeah. the last Christmas movie, please go and I was just going to mention that. Because yeah. that's so great. Emma Thompson, I believe, uh, co-directed that movie. I have not watched it, and I want to find out where it's streaming because I'm definitely going to watch it. But you need to you need it. to watch it. I I I love the movie. I yeah, know I haven't seen it. I know it didn't get the best of reviews. I don't think, but I I personally love the movie, and the soundtrack is tremendous. You know, it's yeah, all get it. it's all George. So, but unreleased stuff that, that had previously unreleased material that was sanctioned, right? So that yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Last Christmas myself, but I've read up about it because I was reading into the song that was released. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm right in saying that George was involved in it in a way, and he gave it the go ahead. But he said that he's not going to let it happen unless this certain person is involved in it. And it might have been Emma that you mentioned. Uh, I can't remember without looking it up. But it's nice to know because I think it came out after he passed away. And I was like, oh, they're capitalizing on George Michael. But knowing that he was in some way involved kind of makes me go. It It came out in 2019. So, yeah, right. Three years later. Yep. Right. Yeah. So. I have yeah. to go back. I'll have to find out where that's streaming, Chris. I, I, I definitely want to watch it. It's a, it's a. I'll look it up and let you know. But it's a, it's a good movie. I, I'm really fond of Amelia Clark as an actress and as a person. So I, I yeah, I, I know little about yeah. Oh, Emilia Clark, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she comes off as really sweet, really kind, really kind person. So, um, I really enjoy the stuff that i've seen her in she's absolutely brilliant in, in last christmas so i would I'll have, to check, I'll have to check it out yeah strongly suggest you guys watch that movie but yeah gonna, it's gonna do it it's really good but yeah um any closing thoughts you guys have i mean part two <laughs> yes. Yeah, we might we might as well do a we might as well do a reprise because George did reprises all the time in his albums. Yes, he did. So yes, he did. Uh, one could... thing, sorry, one thing that I was going to mention, going back to the whole lawsuit thing, um, I'm pretty yes. sure that it was Sony that he was having the lawsuit with, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm not trying to open a can of worms here. I'm just saying that I'm pretty sure that Michael Jackson also had reservations with Sony. So yes, that's a connection yes. to Michael. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sony is true. Sony. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Well, the, the business was be, the, the business was evolving, uh, and these artists around that time in the '90s, it was really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that that could be a whole podcast in itself. Oh, definitely. It is why we are where we are now with the whole um, demonetization of music and with streaming with artists making penny fractions of pennies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, per stream now with Spotify and all these. And I, and I love Spotify for some of the podcasts that they have on. You know, Quest Loves Podcasts certainly is something I, I listen to on a regular basis because uh, he's brilliant. But, you know, now 
what where the music business is going is what these guys were fighting for to begin with. And, right. Uh, and uh, so anyway, it's kind right. of sad that you know. But anyway, please let's look. We could do more. We could do more. Let's get Andrew on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> let's make it happen. Definitely. I think he would. I think he would welcome a discussion. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to make it happen. I'd like to thank both of you for joining me, Kurt Hoffman, the Purple Kurt Podcast. Thank you. We can, so find, we can find you on YouTube, correct? Correct. Yes. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I have a Purple Kurt Podcast page on, on Facebook. I don't use it a whole lot, but you can reach me out at, at Kurt Hoffman on, on Facebook, and I welcome any or all uh, George Michael Prince fans, the music fans in general. Love the discussion. And you're, you're a lead singer in a Led Zeppelin cover band, which I find Correct. very cool. Very Correct. cool. Correct. Yes. yes. Uh, Glenn Zeppelin, we're also on Facebook. Uh, two guys are music teachers. Um, I'm a former music teacher, so longer story involved in that one. But um, they uh, we perform a couple times a year, but when we get together, it's <laughs> it's incredible. And I also want to point out that Andrew Ridgely of, of Wham! fame, is a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Just want to point that out because he talks okay. new, on a number of occasions in the autobiography. He mentions that George and him, uh, Andrew, had gotten a Led Zeppelin catalog uh, inherited and religiously listened to their stuff. So they're huge fans of just all kinds of music. So shout, very, out, to, very shout cool. out to Andrew. Come on, let's talk about Led Zeppelin. I'd love to talk to him about his favorite Zeppelin tracks. So <laughs> that would be a whole different thing. But anyway, that's being self-indulgent. Yeah. Yeah, and Vicky Lee, you're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, right? And you're also you also post from time to time on medium.com. I'm uh, currently trying to figure out what I want my life to be, but if you want to come along on the crazy chaotic journey, then my like hub of everything. I'm using it as like a digital portfolio is um Vicky X Lee on Instagram, and then I always post links to whatever I do and whatever I'm up to on there. So check me okay. out if you have and time. Can we can we plug one of your podcasts, the tra- Trans uh, Talking Trans podcast? Uh, trans Talk podcast. Trans yeah, talk. Um, Trans Talk. Sorry, when I the was fabulous uni, podcast. Thank you. When I was at uni last year, somebody said that um, they want me to do a podcast about being trans, and I started that. It's called trans talk podcast there's links on my instagram and when i figured out what i want my life to be i'm going to go back to that when i have the time to do some more videos so it's not over but there will be more good okay and you also have uh done some writing credits for the violet reality podcast if i'm not yes i did um they kind of got me onto medium and they made me fall in love with doing these mega posts and I've started so many but just don't have the energy to finish them yet but I would really love to find that energy to finish them because I love writing I love writing about music I just need to find it again yeah yeah I can totally I can totally uh, empathize with that for years especially when I was younger I always wanted (laughs) to be a writer and then self-esteem issues got in the way of that and I've never really gotten back to it but you are a writer, Chris. You are a writer. Um, so, well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very you much. It's very kind of you to say. But Can I, I just... Have... Um, yeah. Sorry. Again, um, one thing that really has kind of 
given me some kind of spark recently is that with older, I think Anselmo passed away two years before older came out and before he wrote Jesus to a child. And if you don't know from what I've said, I really love older. And if it takes George Michael two or three years to come out with something as brilliant and stunning as older, then I like to think that I'm willing to wait a couple of years to come out with something not as good as older, but something. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a great point of view, a great attitude to have, a great attitude to take. So yeah, I am. I appreciate I appreciate that and I can empathize with it and yeah definitely but George Michael what a phenomenal artist and an yes. intriguing human being great sense of humor um <laughs> just you know very magnetic and charismatic and he's one of those people that they'll they'll never be another George Michael as long as we live as long as as long as the earth revolves around the sun, there'll never be another George Michael. So we just wanted to take today to <laughs> pay our respects and talk a little bit about this artist who is so beloved and so deserving of you know, the praise and accolades that he gets even today. And his legacy is going to last a very, very long, long time. And uh, I'm grateful myself having done this <laughs> podcast because it gave me an excuse to dive into his catalog and, and really absorb the stuff that I, you know, overlooked, frankly, when it, when it came out in the past. So I have a whole new appreciation for George and what he did and what what he stood for and the causes that he championed and it's all very very good stuff so george we love you we miss you and we thank you for everything you gave to the world and we hope you're resting in peace so thank you very much peace to george michael thank both of you guys kurt hoffman and vicky lee for contributing to the podcast today and thank you chris we will do a reprise and if we can get andrew ridgely uh <laughs> fingers crossed but yeah we will revisit this this amazing man so uh stay tuned is all i can say to everybody but uh there will be a there will be a part two as George did for several of his songs. So, um, but thank you so much for watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the Purple Nights podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you again to the newcomers, the George Michael fans who might have happened on this podcast. I hope you appreciate I hope you appreciated what we had to say. And uh, until next time, for Kurt Hoffman and Vicki Lee, this is Chris Johnson saying, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.